to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Christofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history, which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. Last saw you laughing If this world makes you crazy And you've taken all you can bear Just call me up Because you'll know I'll be there And I see your true colors shine through I see your true colors And that's why I love you So don't be afraid To let them show your true colors, true colors are beautiful like a rainbow. Welcome to season number five, episode one of Mondays with Millie. By 1980, Britain had its first female Prime Minister, and the decade of strife, the 1970s, was over, or so it seemed. Margaret Thatcher's reformist agenda took no prisoners and the country was divided in the wake of the miners' strike. Nuclear power replaced coal, and Britain fell in love with the microwave oven as 60% of women went off to work, one of the highest rates in Europe at the time. This came with crippling unemployment. Nearly 4 million Britons were out of work. Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. To let them show your true colours True colors, true colors are shining through. I see your true colors, and that's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show your true colors. True colors are beautiful like rain. Welcome everybody yeah. to season five of Mondays with Millie, um, and I've just told Millie that we've clocked over two thousand five hundred listens across seventeen countries, which is uh, a real, a really <coughs> nice milestone. And um, I might actually start off by reading something on Facebook that someone posted the other day, which um, is a bit of a throwback to. An earlier episode when you were talking about your first husband leaving, the one where I think it was called My Husband Left for an Interview and I Didn't See Him for 30 Years, that episode. So someone has asked the question about the private detective 
that might have been used. So this has come from a lady called Anne Charlesworth. And someone posted on, on an episode about Cuncliffe's Detective Service. Does that ring a bell? Does no, it was name? Mr Whitlam. Mr Whitlam. Oh. Whitlam, yes. Okay, right. He was an ex, I think he was an ex-police sergeant. Right, 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 right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, then that's an easy answer to that question. All right, so the 1970s came to an end and they it's it's been referred to as the decade of strife in Britain for lots of reasons covered in earlier in the earlier season of Mondays with Millie. By 1982, there were almost 4 million unemployed people in Britain. What's your recollection of Margaret Thatcher's victory? So that happened in 1979 and and what happened after that? So do you remember the election and the election result of Margaret Thatcher coming into power? Oh, oh yes, yes. Very exciting. She didn't have any other women in her cabinet, as far as I can remember. Um, she, I, th- I think um, it was very difficult for her because she was a grammar school girl and then she'd gone to university. Her father kept a corner shop. And uh, I know she used to sometimes serve in the shop, you know, um, when, she was, uh, when she was younger. And she had, she had a real insight into uh, people with small businesses, you know, the problems... And she was, she was very much, she, she had rather a posh, high voice at first. And I think, I think she had, um, had some instructions on voice production because she lowered her voice and it became much stronger uh, and easier to listen to. Um, she had twin, uh, twin children, boy and a girl. Uh, so she was a housewife as well. And I believe she did her own cooking. <laughs> she was a very good cook. Her husband was a businessman. But she did fight a lot of personal battles, really. Because um, I, don't, I don't think they ever thought for one moment that she'd, she'd become prime minister. Not for one moment. So did you... Did the election result in 1979 surprise you and to surprise most people? I think it did, yes. The fact that a woman was standing for Parliament, yes. Well, not for Parliament, standing for, for the country, yes. Yes, I, I think a, a lot of people were surprised, but, but also um, quite intrigued, you know. Now, what's going to happen now? Because she had a different outlook completely to Edward Heath. And, of course, he never forgave her, never forgave her. Was Edward he was, Heath a uh, Conservative? Yes. He was the previous co- Conservative leader. Yeah. Well, he was the Prime he Minister. He was Prime Minister, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. And, uh, and of course, she usurped him, you see, and uh, never forgave her for that. 
So to the end of his days, I mean, he stayed in Parliament a long time, but he, he, he always tried to, to bring her down, you know. Where Rather a petty man, really. D- did you have any inkling when that election came and went... Did you have any inkling of the turmoil that was to come after that? Did did you know her mandate was really was big on changing the economy and transforming <coughs> it? Well, that came gradually, but um, things really needed to be done, you know. And of course, the miners never forgave her either. But a lot of it had to be sorted, you know. Um, there was, it was, there was far too much coal. I know it's such a controversial subject. I'm loath to get onto it, really. But even now, you know, it's split families, fathers and brothers and dreadful. And, and, and to this day, some of these families never speak to each other. It was terrible, really. Because the mines were closed and she... Yes, and, yes. And the, and the country transferred to nuclear power. Yes, and also, you see, some of the miners wanted to go to work and they, they had to go, they went in a bus and they were they were called scabs. And uh, it was terrible, really. There was a lot of violence. I know Paul, of course, was a young policeman at the time and um, he, he, he was on duty sometimes, you know, and... They used to bust the police in from all over the country. It was uh, it was a very sad time for a lot of people. Do you remember feeling s- empathy or sympathy for both sides? Absolutely, absolutely. I felt sorry for the families who were struggling. And, you know, it's all very well, but the, the, the union... Uh, the the senior people in the union were pushing... They were on very good money, very good money, but the miners were getting next to nothing from the union and um, they were struggling uh, and the children were going without and it, it was ter- a terrible time. It could have been handled better, I think, if they'd had a better union leader. But I, I'm, my mind's a bit blank this morning can't just remember what he was called. Oh, trying to think what he was called. Arthur um, Scargill? Arthur Scargill, yes. Oh, that just and popped into know, my head. I'm, in, I'm impressed it, that I well, remember that. Well, thank you. <laughs> do you know, it was only two years ago that Arthur Scargill gave up his very expensive London apartment that the unions were paying for. Can you believe it? After all those years, he hung on. To, he didn't live there. That was just a, a a base for him when he went to London. Uh, he 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 had a beautiful house, but of his own. But he held on to that very expensive apartment, costing money to the unions for all these years. That's what sort of man he was. Mm. So they is used it... to call him. They used to call him King Scargill. Yes, and he thought he was, and I think he could have handled things much better. No, but he... Do you think the way the miners' strikes were handled by the government 
was that was that handled well or poorly or what does history tell us about that? I I don't know. I can't remember a terrible lot about the details, but I do know that the unions refused to um, speak to the government at one point. You know, there is they they just wouldn't uh, come to the table, so to speak. They were all for striking and violence. Were they given retraining or anything like that or offered? Because it's always difficult when you close down an industry, isn't it? I mean, it's terribly difficult for people, especially if it's been a generational thing. I, I can't remember that. I don't know. You'd have to. Yeah, you'd I'd have, have to. to look you'd have into to that. Do, yes. do the research. Yes, yes. So one interesting. It was very sad for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. Well, I, I, I think. Well, there's a film called Billy Elliot, actually, which is set in that period and actually covers a lot of the the issues are sort of portrayed in that film pretty well. You get a feel yes. for it. An interesting statistic I was reading about the 1980s and and there's some thinking that Margaret Thatcher was probably led the way in this, but six out of ten women in Britain went out to work, which was higher than almost every other European country at that time. Do you... You were one that worked, you know, in earlier decades and sort of bucked the trend in that regard. Did you get any sense of that? Did you feel like it, you were a bit ahead of your time in that sense? Um, I didn't really think about it. Uh, there were, most women I knew worked, most young wives worked. Um, I know when Kirsten was small, um, there, were, there were two or three wives that didn't work, you know, um, in the in the group that used to congregate round the school gate waiting for children. And they were the ones who were all always beautifully groomed. <laughs> As though they'd been out they'd been out to lunch first, you know, before they picked the children up. But uh, I'm afraid I wasn't very well groomed. I, I was half asleep because of course I was working nights then in the hospital. Twelve hour shifts at the hospital, you mm. see. Mm. So I was always half asleep, looking a bit frowsy. <laughs> and you'd fall asleep walking, which is which you mentioned in a, I, in I, an earlier episode, yes. And I always used to say to Kirsten, good night, God bless. <laughs> oh, when you dropped her off to school in the morning. Yes, good night, God bless. <laughs> yeah. Um one of the big things that came out of the 1980s was um, the microwave oven. Did you have a microwave oven? in? Oh, not for a few years. We were a bit scared of them. And I know when we did get one, John was forever saying, uh, if I turned it on, don't stand in front of it. <laughs> I think he thought the rays were going to come out and attack me. So there was a bit of fear about them because it, there's, there the statistic is that there were more microwaves <coughs> in Britain by the mid-1980s than the rest of Europe combined. So for whatever reason, do you, why do, you, do you have any idea as to why Britain 
like the microwave oven so much more than... Well, possibly because a lot of the women went out to work, you know. Oh, of course. But can I just say, uh, talking about Margaret Thatcher, that um, one, of her fa- one of her famous statements was, the lady's not for turning... I can see and hear her now in my mind's eye. To those waiting with bated breath for that favourite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to. (laughs) The ladies not... For turning. The ladies not for turning. I think that was something to do with the miners' strike, yes. Oh, okay. Did you notice any change in the eating habits of the family? Well, well yes. S- uh, suddenly we all became very aware of pasta. <laughs> you know, uh, certainly in our household we, we, we never ate pasta uh, until around that time. And not very often then, to be honest. But, um, yes, suddenly pasta became quite um, uh, popular. So, uh, and I think it was the Italian meals, you know, that um, people started to... I mean, we had spaghetti, tin spaghetti, but you couldn't call that pasta, really, could you? No, well, you're asking an Italian. That's... (laughs) um... (laughs) (laughs) My nose turns up just at the thought of... Tin spaghetti, I just can't. Tin spaghetti and, pata- and tomato sauce. <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, no, I didn't buy pasta. And um, uh, But it suddenly it became very popular and there were lots of meals and recipe books came out, uh, pasta recipe books. Um, but mainly it was, it was meat and two veg, wasn't it? You know, uh, the usual chicken and... Um, Minced beef, of course, which I used to give my husband every time he came home from one of his posh trips. (laughs) (laughs) Just to bring him down to earth. I love it. I bet it did bring him down to earth. Hand him that and then give him a tea towel afterwards. He quite liked it. Oh, he quite liked it. He never grumbled. It was just the two kids that pointed it out to me, you know. Um, what, what's for dinner? Well, no, it's for dinner. Dad's coming home. It's going to be minced beef. <laughs> One interesting thing I think I read was the, a big change in the 80s was the, the sort of the demise of the corner shop and the growth of the big supermarket chain. So Sainsbury's and all of these sorts of really huge supermarkets. Did you Did you notice... That your grocery well, yes, habits, shopping habits changed? Yes, because um, <clears throat> we were fortunate because in, the, in St. Anne's Square, right in the centre, we had uh, a, quite a large shop. It was, it was a, almost a store and it was Booth's. Booth's had this lovely shop and they had the fresh meat counter and a fish counter at the time and um, delicatessen counter. And you could get anything you wanted right in the centre of the town. Uh, But that was the only big food shop we had at one time. And then I think it was Tesco's first. 
it wasn't Sainsbury's took over from, I think, if I'm correct, Sainsbury's took over from Tesco. And they built this large place uh, by, by the station. There used to be a very nice aquarium there, a very large aquarium, and that was pulled down and uh, the supermarket was built in its place. But we only had the one. But before that, of course, Booth's had everything. And there wasn't a Marks and Spencer's food uh, uh, store there then. That only came much later. Mm. So we were all right. We had this lovely store. But also, there were lots of corner food shops, which gradually disappeared. I think they disappeared more or less after Sainsbury's arrived. Mm. At the top of the road where we lived, in Ashley Road, there was a very nice row of shops. There was a very large fruit and vegetable store, which I have mentioned before when I talked about Mr Little and his shoplifting peaches and things. Mm. And um, there was also a corner store, Guffog's, which was a very large grocery store, and they sold, they had newspapers and, um, and uh, of course, cigarettes and things. There were also two um, off-licenses where you could buy your liquor. Um, there was a good row of shops there. This, and uh, what used to be Guffog's is now the co-op at the top of the road, so mm. that's quite a large store. Um, but what used to be the uh, fruit and vegetable place is now a fish and chip shop. That's disappeared completely, you see. So you can't get fresh... And there's a lot of places where you can't get fresh um, vegetables and fruit unless you go to the supermarket. Mm. Mm. Those those small stores have disappeared. Yeah. And they did then, started to go then, you see. episode one season five of mondays with millie in episode two cash points and credit cards make life easier for some while computers start arriving in the workplace much to the annoyance of many we look forward to your company again next week Your true colors, true colors.
Mondays with Millie is an e-learn production. Editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Cristofaro. Vocal work by Millie's granddaughter, Neve. If this world makes you crazy and you've taken all you can bear, you call me up because you know I'll be there and I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors and that's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show your true colors. True colors, true colors are shining through. I see your true colors, and that's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show your true colors. True colors are beautiful.